Well, today uh, we are going to begin a four-week series entitled Selah. Uh, go ahead and say that with me, Selah. I love that you guys do that. I still don't understand why you follow that, but you do every time. It's fantastic. Uh, we're at a great time uh, of year to kind of pause and reflect. Uh, in my life, I look for uh, kind of annual events that roll around where I can see where was I at this point last year. So when I was in college, uh, we had Orpheus Choir Retreat. And the last night of retreat, we would sit around a campfire and we would kind of share different prayer requests, different things that we were going through. And I would always use that as a benchmark to say, man, where was I at when I sat around this campfire last year? Uh, we, uh, we do that a lot with holidays. Maybe our, uh, our houses have changed. Maybe our families have changed a little bit. Uh, Ann and I just celebrated our 15th wedding anniversary this week. Yeah. And they said it wouldn't last. Yeah, 15 years. Nailed it. Uh, last year at this point, uh, we were actually uh, in limbo between two jobs. Um, actually, we were at Disney World pretending that our lives weren't about to be turned upside down. Uh, but we use these times and we need that in our lives. Selah, an opportunity to pause and reflect. We rush through life. Uh, we can even rush through these uh, times on Sunday morning. Uh, let's be honest, we watch the clocks, right? You're kind of wondering, how long is this guy going to go today? If it's football season, the game starts at noon. The Cubs are on the East Coast. They start at 12.10 today. I'm very aware of that. I will be home in time for the start of that game. Uh, we want to make sure we get out to the restaurants in time. We've got to beat College Church to Coyote Canyon, right? We can't let them get there before us. I never went to Coyote Canyon for like the 20 years that I lived here, and I've already been there twice since I've been back, it's really not that bad. <laughs> and some of you are judging me right now, and you won't listen to anything else that I have to say the rest of this time. Uh, we can be guilty of it from a planning perspective on Sunday morning. We try to maximize every minute of this service to be impactful. So where's the time for the deep breath? I've become very aware of the need for good uh, deep breathing techniques when it comes to raising children. Uh, deep breaths are something we try to help uh, counter meltdowns in our house. Who loves the meltdowns? Yeah, anybody? Nope. Rebecca, you do not. You do not enjoy the meltdown. Uh, so I, I've got some images up here. Uh, do you ever have any of these kind of things uh, happen in your life? There was a hot dog hidden in, in his cornbread. Yeah, I mean, of course. Uh, what do we have next? Uh, I wouldn't let her play with a bag of dog poop. <laughs> how dare you, you know? That's worthy of a meltdown. Uh, how about this one? He met Iron Man out of costume. <laughs> like, look at the, the look on his face. He's so dejected there. Uh, the next one, he can't reach the pennies. They're just too far away. I think that one's happened in our house. It's just, it's just too hard. And then uh, the last one here, he doesn't want to go even though we've repeatedly told him we're not going anywhere. <laughs> kids, uh, we got our kids with us. You guys would never do any of that, right? You guys would never be those kids. Deep breaths. Pause and reflect. We need that. We need to recenter. We need to get a grasp of true reality versus perceived reality. We need to be able to respond in situations versus reacting. 
So over the next four weeks, we're going to look at what it means to pause and reflect. And if reflecting helps us to recenter, we first have to know what center is. It all starts with finding our identity in Christ and in Christ alone. So let's pray together. Father, we thank you uh, for this time today. We thank you for the way that your spirit has been so evidently with us in this time. And we do want to take this moment to take a deep breath, to pause in your presence. For some people in this room, this will be the only opportunity they have this week to pause. So I pray that as we go through this time, we would hear from you and that we would be refreshed by your spirit today. It's in your name we ask it. Amen. We're going to look at a couple of different scriptures from Paul today and also take a look at how the realness of the Psalms help us to process uh, some of the emotions that we feel. So first, let's look at Paul. Uh, Before Paul encountered Jesus, his name was Saul. The kids nailed that. I love that. Uh, And Saul didn't find his identity in Christ. He found his identity in in, in his worth in the patterns and the rituals in the world. He says this in Philippians 3, If someone else thinks they have reasons to put confidence in the flesh, I have more, circumcised on the eighth day, of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, in regard to the law, a Pharisee, as for zeal, persecuting the church, as for righteousness based on the law, faultless. So what he's saying here is he had the bloodline, the heritage, the name, the job, the knowledge, all the things that he would need to be successful in the eyes of the world. But funny things happen when we encounter Jesus. Things that used to be really high on the list of importance don't seem to matter quite as much anymore. So in verse 7, but whatever were gains to me, I now consider loss. For the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them garbage that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God on the basis of faith. I want to know Christ. Yes, to know the power of his resurrection and participation in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, and so somehow attaining to the resurrection from the dead. Everything I considered of value has lost significance. My title, my heritage, my job, Jesus has changed everything. I have a new responsibility to proclaim the gospel to live a life worthy of the calling that I've received. Paul acknowledges that he doesn't have it all figured out. He's not perfect, but he does say in Galatians 2.20, I have been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I live, now I live in the body. I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. So these scriptures tell us that we are to find our identity in Christ. Is that true for you? Where do you turn for validation? Where do you go for affirmation? 
Where do you express your struggles? Where do you vent your frustrations? Many times, God is not our first answer to these questions. We've got a a friendly rivalry in our household uh, over whose Facebook posts get the most likes. Uh, My wife wins every time because she has a ridiculous following on Facebook. And if I do have a post that gets even a decent amount of likes, she takes credit because I usually tag her in it. So there's that. Uh, But here's a question. Can I post something on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram simply to put out a thought, an image, maybe a word of encouragement without my ego or self-worth being affected by the reach that it has? I don't post often, but when I do, I, I like to check. I like to see who's liked it, maybe who hasn't liked it. Uh, has it been shared? Did someone comment? Did someone have something negative to say? Do I have to defend myself now? Validation and affirmation. If I get the likes, I feel affirmed. If I don't, what the world? Someone agrees, I feel validated. If not, am I wrong? This idea of finding our worth and value in our creator reminds me of a story. And uh, our kids are with us today, and I want to invite our kids to come forward today and come up on the, on the platform. All right, we're going to have, we're gonna have story time on the platform. So if you're a kid, go ahead and come on up. Uh, now, I've, I've done things like this before, and, you know, I end up with a teen on the platform or an adult on the platform that says, oh, I have childlike faith, you know. Uh, it's really the maturity of a child, I guess, that we're looking for here. So if, wherever you fall into that category, uh, go ahead and come on up. And, uh, and I have a story that I want to I share with them, but the reality is it's a story that we all need to hear. It's a story called You Were Special by Max Licato. That was awesome, by the way. <laughs> uh, we're going to hear the story of a little wooden uh, doll named Punchinello, who's having kind of a rough go of it. He's a little different. The world's kind of treating him unkindly. And, uh, and I've asked my wife to come and read it because people like her more. <laughs> okay. See what I did there? Pulling in the, the likes. Uh, no, she's really a great storyteller. So children, you guys got to pay attention, all right? And adults, I want you to hear the message. So our story today is called You Are Special. How many of you have read this before? Have you heard it? Yes, a couple of you. Good. All right. You can see the pictures up on the screen, or I'll try to show them here to you, too. The Wemmicks were small wooden people. All of the wooden people were carved by a woodworker named Eli. His workshop sat on a hill overlooking their village. Now, each Wemmick was different. Some of them had big noses, and others had large eyes. Some were tall, and others were short. Some wore hats, some wore coats, but all of them were made by the same carver, and they all lived in the village. All day, every day, the Wemmicks did the same thing. They gave each other stickers. Each Wemmick had a box of gold star stickers and a box of gray dot stickers. Up and down the streets all over the city, people spent their days sticking stars and dots on each other. The pretty ones, those with smooth wood and fine paint, well, they always got stars. But if the wood was rough or the paint was chipped, the Wemmicks gave dots. The talented ones got stars, too. Some could lift big sticks high above their heads or jump over tall boxes. Still, others knew big words or they could sing pretty songs. 
Everyone gave them stars. Some Wemmicks had stars all over them. Each time they got a star, it made them feel so good inside. It made them want to do something else and get another star. Others, though, could do little, and they got dots. Punchinello was one of these. He tried to jump high like the others, but he always fell. And when he fell, the others would gather around and put dots on him. Sometimes when he fell, his wood got scratched, so then the people would give him more dots. Then he would try to explain why he fell, and then he would say something silly, and the Wemmicks would give him, guess what, more dots. After a while, he had so many dots that he didn't want to go outside. He was afraid he would do something dumb, such as forget his hat or step in the water, and then the people would give him another dot. In fact, he had so many gray dots that some people would come up and give him one for no reason at all. It's not very nice. He deserves lots of dots, the wooden people would agree with each other. He's not a good wooden person. Well, after a while, Punchinello believed them. He said to himself, I'm not a good Wemmick. The few times he did go outside, he hung around other Wemmicks who had a lot of dots. He felt better around them. Well, one day, Punchinello met a Wemmick who was unlike any he had ever met. She had no dots and no stars. She was just wooden. Her name was Lucia. It wasn't that people didn't try to give her stickers. It's just that the stickers didn't stick. Some of the Wemmicks admired Lucia for having no dots, so they would run up and give her a star, but it would fall off. Others would look down on her for having no star, so they would give her a dot, but it wouldn't stick either. That's the way I want to be, thought Punchinello. I don't want anyone's marks. So he asked the stickerless Wemmick how she did it. It's easy, Lucia replied. Every day I go see Eli. Eli, said Punchinello. Yes, Eli, the woodcarver. I sit in the workshop with him. Why, said Punchinello. Why don't you go and find out for yourself? Go on up the hill. He's up there. And with that, the Wemmick who had no stickers turned and skipped away. But will he want to see me, Punchinello cried out. But Lucia didn't hear. So Punchinello went home. He sat near a window, and he watched the wooden people as they scurried around, giving each other stars and dots. It's not right, he muttered to himself. So then and there, Punchinello decided to go see Eli. He walked up the narrow path to the top of the hill and stepped into the big shop. His wooden eyes widened at the size of everything. The stool was as tall as he was. He had to stretch on his tiptoes to see the top of the workbench. A hammer was as long as his arm. Punchinello swallowed hard. I'm not staying here, he said, and he turned to leave. But then he heard his name. Punchinello? The voice was deep and strong. Punchinello stopped. Punchinello, how good to see you. Come, let me have a look at you. Punchinello turned slowly and looked at the large, bearded craftsman. You know my name? The little Wemmick asked. Of course I do. I made you. Eli stooped down and picked him up and sat him on the bench. Hmm, the maker spoke thoughtfully as he looked at the gray dots. Looks like you've been given some bad marks. I didn't mean to, Eli. I really tried hard. 
Oh, you don't have to defend yourself to me, child. I don't care what the other Wemmicks think. You don't? No, and you shouldn't either. Who are they to give dots and stars? They're Wemmicks, just like you. What they think doesn't matter, Punchinello. All that matters is what I think, and I think you are pretty special. Punchinello laughed. Me? Special? Why, I can't walk fast, I can't jump, my paint is peeling. Why would I matter to you? Eli looked at Punchinello, put his hands on those small wooden shoulders and spoke very slowly. Because you're mine, that's why you matter to me. Well, Punchinello had never had anyone look at him like this, much less his maker. He didn't know what to say. Every day I've been hoping you would come, Eli explained. I came because I met someone who had no marks, said Punchinello. I know, said Eli. She told me about you. Well, why don't the sticker stay on her, said Punchinello. The maker spoke softly. Because she has decided that what I think is more important than what they think. The stickers only stick if you let them. What? The stickers only stick if they matter to you. The more you trust my love, the less you care about their stickers. I'm not sure I understand, said Punchinello. Eli smiled. You will, but it will take time. You've got a lot of marks. For now, just come to see me every day and let me remind you how much I care. Eli lifted Punchinello off the bench and set him on the ground. Remember, Eli said as the Wemmick walked out the door, you are special because I made you, and I don't make mistakes. Punchinello didn't stop, but in his heart he thought, I, I think he, he really needs it. And when he did, do you know what happened? A dot fell off and onto the ground. The end. All right, boys and girls, we're going to walk quietly back to mom and dad. All right, let's see if we can go ninja style so nobody notices. Where do we turn for justification, peace, guidance, and direction? Where do we turn for validation? Do we look to our maker or do we look to others? We say we believe scripture. We say we model our lives after Scripture. Scripture tells us that we've been crucified with Christ. That I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. If anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. We are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works. If we are his, why aren't we turning to him more and to people less? One of the great places that we can look for guidance on how we turn to God for rest, relief, and pause, Selah, is in the Psalms. Psalms is a collection of songs, poems, and prayers that express the realness of life, the struggles that we face, the victories that we enjoy. In the Psalms, we find times of both individual and corporate praise along with times of individual and corporate lament. The first 90 Psalms lean a little more toward lament, pain, confusion, anger, the things that are wrong in the world. 
And the last 60 psalms lean a little more toward praise, prayers of joy and celebration, the things that are good in the world, thanksgiving to God. The great thing about the psalms is that they're oftentimes very real and very raw. How many, have, uh, how many people have thoughts in their head that, that just pop in? It's kind of like, where did that come from? I would never say that to somebody. Can you just raise, raise your hand? Wow, look at all you horrible people. No, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. You're not. That's, that's who we are. We, we have that. We have these moments in our lives where we have these thoughts that pop in, and, and we would never dare voice them. We, we go, where did that come from? And the question's like, why has this happened to me? Does God even know what's going on? Is God even real? If he was, there's no way that this would happen. We can have pretty powerful and scary thoughts. Where do we turn with those feelings? Let's talk lament. Lament counters a false, naive, and overly romantic idea of the Christian life. Being a Christian doesn't mean that everything is perfect, that we never get upset, that we just kind of sit around, hold hands, saying how wonderful the world is. I mean, that's just not reality, right? Negativity, injustice, hatred, brokenness, they're all a part of our lives and all a part of our world. In the face of this, we can get these instinctive feelings for retaliation and for returning hatred with hatred. We feel pain, hurt, and anger. But I think we can all agree that these are not not really a good basis on which to act. The fact that I feel a certain way does not give me permission to go and dump whatever I want to on whoever I want to. Instead, lament suggests that the place and person to express our uncensored feelings is God. And the key word in there is uncensored. Those thoughts that you have that you wouldn't dare voice. Now, you might be thinking, you don't know the things that I think. If if I said those things, I would be way too embarrassed. I'd get kicked out of the church if I did something like that. If you don't think it's right to do this, I want you to hear these words from the Psalms, where people say some things that kind of blow my mind. This is Psalm 55. Let death take my enemies by surprise. Let them go down alive to the realm of the dead, for evil finds lodging among them. Delightful, right? Psalm 58. Break the teeth in their mouths, O God. Lord, tear out the fangs of those lions. Let them vanish like water that flows away. When they draw the bow, let their arrows fall short. May they be like a slug that melts away as it moves along. We're getting somewhere. Psalm 109. This one just keeps getting better. Appoint someone evil to oppose my enemy. Let an accuser stand at his right hand. When he is tried, let him be found guilty. And may his prayers condemn him. May his days be few. May another take his place of leadership. Okay, not so bad. May his children be fatherless and his wife a widow. May his children be wandering beggars. May they be driven from their ruined homes. May a creditor seize all he has. May strangers plunder the fruits of his labor. May no one extend kindness to him or take pity on his fatherless children. He's not done yet. May his descendants be cut off. 
their names blotted out from the next generation. May the iniquity of his fathers be remembered before the Lord. May the sin of his mother never be blotted out. May their sins always remain before the Lord, that he may blot out their name from the earth. One more. i got to do one more. This one's my favorite. Psalm 137. O Babylon, you will be destroyed. Happy is the one who pays you back for what you have done to us. Happy is the one who takes your babies and smashes them against the rocks. Believe it or not, I actually censored some of my readings today because the kids were upstairs. <laughs> Do you feel better about some of the things that you think? I shared these psalms at a, at a nursing home service I was doing once. They thought I was saying <laughs> these things. I was like, no, 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 not, it was not me. This is in the psalms. These are real people dealing with real things. Now, we need to recognize a few things. First, these words are clearly spoken out of great pain and distress. These feelings are really in the Psalms. They didn't make them up. And at times, these kinds of feelings are really inside of us. A good first step in processing these feelings is realizing that we're human. Emotions happen. We're going to feel pain and struggle. It's where we turn with these feelings that makes all the difference. Second, it's important to acknowledge that the psalmist does not say, I am going to go out and smash your babies against the rocks. We don't take things into our own hands. Rather, we say, God, this is the way I feel, and I leave it to you. This is okay, because God has never been known to go out in a rush and do things that we ask him to do when we're angry. We let God deal with it. And in the process, we get the feelings out of us. This allows us to be able to respond a little more reflectively, more constructively. And third, we have to follow Jesus' example that teaches us to pray, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Moving toward forgiveness is the direction in which we hope to move, the direction we want our actions to reflect. But our feelings may not always be there, at least not at first. Our feelings are real and will not go away, and if we don't recognize them and deal with them, they're going to go underground and pop up later in destructive ways. Lament is a constructive way to deal with our feelings. It's only after we lament, after we face and express the pain and negativity and get it all out that healing can begin. It's only by facing and going through death that we can come to new life. To resurrection. We're real people with real problems. Sometimes we need to take a step back, recalibrate, take that deep breath. Selah. So how does lament help us? First, laments are addressed to God. Out of the depths I cry to you, O Lord, hear my voice. O my God, I cry out by day and you answer not. By night there is no relief for me. We don't take our thoughts and our feelings to other people. We take in our thoughts and our feelings directly to God. Why don't we take our unfiltered thoughts to other people? Well, they can be filled with hatred, malice, anger, frustration, and these are things that as believers we should not be pouring on one another. In taking them to God, we recognize that God already knows our thoughts. He is our refuge and strength an ever-present help in trouble. We can feel safe running to him and unloading onto him 
because he's the only one that can be, bring peace to any situation that we go through anyway. Second, laments ask heartfelt questions. How long, O oh Lord, will you utterly forget me? Why, O oh Lord, do you stand aloof? Why hide in times of distress? Those are things we hear. I'm sure we can all identify times in our lives where we felt as though our prayers were kind of hitting the ceiling. God wasn't answering. Maybe he wasn't answering fast enough. He doesn't hear us. He obviously doesn't care. Maybe you're there right now. Lament expresses those thoughts in that real and raw way. Heartfelt doesn't mean that it's always going to be loving. It means it's what's at the core of our being. If the struggle we're facing has overtaken the core of who we are, that means we're pushing out the one who needs to be at the core of our life. We've lost our center. There's not double occupancy in our hearts. We have to choose God or ourselves. My feelings or God's peace. Lament offers a way to empty out the feelings so God can reign and rule in our lives. And then oftentimes laments end with petition and or expressions of hope, confidence, trust, even if they're not strong statements. Hear this in Psalm 13. How long, Lord, will you forget me? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I wrestle with my thoughts and day after day have sorrow in my heart? How long will my enemy triumph over me? Look on me and answer, Lord my God. Give light to my eyes or I will sleep in death and my enemy will say I have overcome him and my foes will rejoice when I fall. But I trust in your unfailing love. My heart rejoices in your salvation. I will sing praise to the Lord, for he has been good to me. I love that. God, you've, you've forgotten me. I'm wrestling with my thoughts. I feel like I'm going to die. My enemies are winning the battle. Nevertheless, I will trust in your unfailing love. We have to return there. We have to empty out so that we can get back to that point. Lament offers this opportunity. It forces authenticity, realness before God. So some final thoughts here. If we're to find our identity in Christ, we have to acknowledge that we're real people dealing with real things. Things don't become perfect the moment we accept Christ. We've just been equipped for the battle. Lament offers a structure and a model to allow us to express and acknowledge our grief, our pain, our confusion, and our anger, to offer strength and support in difficult times, to help us individually and corporately move forward with the task and challenge of life and help us discern what is a good and proper response to any situation. And all of this then leads to praise. Praise of an almighty God who is good, in every situation. Even when we can't see the big picture. Even when we don't know the immediate outcome. Nevertheless, we will sing praise. When we can recognize first and foremost that we are children of God, the battles in life become easier to face. We have a God that we can cry out to, unfiltered. He has big shoulders and can handle it. You know that, right? Nothing you can say is too much for him. He wants to hear from you. He wants to ease the burden 
the first step is to tell him. Feel that freedom. You are his child. You are his creation. Cry out to him. Know that he hears you and trust that he is working. I'm going to invite you to bow your heads today. See, we believe that we serve a God that wants to bring victory over sin. He wants to bring life where there's death. And we want you to feel empowered to go into the world to live out God's story in your community with boldness, hope, and faith this week. And for some, that could mean taking a first step today. Maybe you've never acknowledged Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. You've never said, I want to trade in my life as it is for what Jesus has for me. Today is the day of salvation. If that's you today, without anyone looking around, I just ask that you would slip a hand up in the air. If you need to, to accept Jesus for the first time today, thank you. Thank you. Praise God. At Kankakee First, no one prays alone. I want to invite us all to pray this prayer. Will you say it with me? Dear Jesus, thank you for your love for me. Thank you for giving your life for me on the cross. Jesus, I need you. Jesus, I can't make it without you. I ask that you would forgive me of my sins. Take control of my life. Guide me in your ways. I commit to live for you. And from this day forward, I am never turning back. In Jesus' name, amen.